You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And Tracy, we're back. And you know, I've considered, since we do have the video, I've considered like lip syncing myself saying that. Oh, Just to okay. see. And then like doing it badly. Just to well, see the, if anybody reacts on the video. Oh, well, the, but there's like no words. So would it just be you like lip syncing like... <laughs> Ba, you don't, you don't ba, hear ba, the part where it says you're listening to the functional nerds. Oh, right, right, right. The, the, I guess those are technically yeah, words. Yeah, yeah. Yes, those, those are, are words. technically words. Yeah. <laughs> teacher. Like, I'm teacher. only like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's English teacher. Gotcha, gotcha. Like, everybody's got to, everybody gets their degree, and next thing they know, they got to go all turn it on the English teachers. I see how it is. Yeah. I'm going to no say well. this because I, I, years ago, I watched Rick and Morty the first couple seasons, and then recently on HBO Max, I got caught up. Mm. I, 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 I don't believe anyone should ever binge Rick and Morty. I don't think it's good for your mental health because that show can get really fucked up. But yeah. <laughs> there was a great line where, where Morty says, you know, Rick, I got I to gotta go to school. I have an English test tomorrow. And, and, and Rick's like, English test? You speak English. You're still having to learn it? What the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh man! Well, it's a good thing we've got other ways of of working on our acuity with language, like uh, uh, books, books. We got books. We have books. We even have book people. I'm like, like, <laughs> like we've got Gamare Martinez. How are you, sir? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing all right. So the reason you're with us, of course, is because you, the first book in your latest new series is dropping on April 12th. We got God of Neverland coming out here. And so this is exciting on a number of levels because it's it's you starting in a new world and starting with a new conceit and all that sort of stuff. So catch people up here. What's what's happening with you in this in this new enterprise? Well, you say it's a new world, but it's actually a really old one. So this book happens uh, 20 years after the original Peter Pan, where Michael Darling has to go back to Neverland to help save Peter. So why? So my question is, in a, and I know that the conceit of the series is that we are we are revisiting the worlds of storytelling where things are going wrong and setting things right. But like, why why start with Peter Pan? Like, why is that the first place? Knowing that you were going to kind of like play with this as an idea, you're like, I got to go there. A couple of years ago, I was just doing a thing where I was reading through a bunch of old classic stories, and I got to Peter Pan, and in the epilogue, it talks about how Michael believed longer than most of his brothers. And so I thought there was something there, just sort of that idea just sort of kept tumbling around in my head until this came out, is that, you know, Michael's not part of a secret society that helps battle, like, supernatural threats, you know, that old trope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he was in that secret society because he always knew it existed because he went to Neverland. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's like the opposite of of the whole uh, C.S. Lewis, the problem with Susan sort of thing. Uh -huh. And instead of it, like the character that that we're we're wondering about because they've shed their connection to the fantasy world is the one that hangs on. Uh -huh. So, so all right, I'm I'm standing there. I've got a copy of God of Neverland in my hands. It's hot off the presses and stuff. What in here is going to make me want to keep turning the pages? What in here is going to make me want to, to keep it for myself, to give it to the kid in my life? I draw from a lot of different sources. For instance, I made Peter Pan be the Celtic god of youth. <laughs> I, I had that idea to make him an old god, and I was just looking through them, and I came across the Celtic one, which is Mapanos, and he mm -hmm. is the personification of youth, and he's described as the divine child. I was like, oh my goodness, that fits perfectly. So 
I draw in from a lot of different sources, just uh, mm-hmm. mythology and stories and things like that. So it, it, given that you're coming to this out of having sort of like fished around in other mythologies and sort of trying to find a way to situate your take on Neverland within this like larger mythology. Like what, what things did you end up discovering that were kind of like fun for you as the author to, to, to start pulling into the story? Obviously you gave Peter Pan this unknown identity previously, but but other stuff, like what are sort of like your Easter eggs of, of the fun stuff that you, you learned just from writing the book? A lot of it was, uh, part of it was the character of Peter Pan. You know, in like the Disney movie, he's just like this adventurous kid. But if you look into the book, he's kind of all over the place and like <laughs> stuff will happen that will work out. And he goes, oh, I always planned it like that. Isn't it good that I planned it like that? So just that sort of kind of that, mm-hmm. actually in the book, Hook describes him as cockiness is the thing that gets on his nerves so uh, i had just mm-hmm. a lot of fun playing with that and uh spoiler he does get rescued at the end but um <laughs> you know peter pan is like oh this is exactly the way i planned it and then michael's like no you did it never mind so <laughs> <laughs> right uh-huh. right well that's sort of fun because it's giving you a chance to kind of like have a conversation with the original peter pan and the things that make him as a character a little bit problematic mm-hmm. and to kind of like actually poke at that a little bit and be like, no, no, no hang on a sec. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you, had, you, I had a lot of fun doing that. <laughs> you, you mentioned the Disney film. Have you, have you done like, have you, did you end up watching any of the other films that have been done the last 20 years that kind of explore other, other parts of pan? No, I haven't. And that was probably a good thing because while J.M. Barry's <laughs> work I can pull from, I can't necessarily pull from Disney. So gotcha. uh, yeah, gotcha. yeah, I I had to be careful with there. The thing that really caught me off guard is um, the the crocodile's name is TikTok. That's not in Barry's work. Oh. That's Disney. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, so I didn't. So I, but it's probably a good thing. Oh, so yeah. so in the book, the the crocodile is not called TikTok. No, it's just the crocodile. So in mine, mm-hmm. I just call it Hook's crocodile because. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the one the one that has a taste for him. Uh-huh. I remember, I don't know how old I was when I read Peter Pan in the first place. That that part of me is confused. But I did decide to read Peter Pan as an adult, mm-hmm. I want to say about like 10 years ago or so. And it was like a, a weirdly sobering experience for me because there were a number of moments where I was definitely responding to the text as a 21st century adult woman in a way that I don't think J.M. Barry would have had any way of anticipating <laughs> where I'm like, Peter, you gaslighting asshole. Or like very, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of, you mentioned that Peter's character is, is a little bit different and more complicated uh-huh. in, in the work. And I think it's a very charitable way of describing a kid who is <laughs> in some places a bit of a sociopath. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like some, yeah. Like some of the stuff that he does in the canonical uh-huh. Barry work really raised some eyebrows of of like the way that he's he's sort of controlling and manipulative uh-huh. and and deceptive uh-huh. and and he creates these situations to deliberately put his friends through sort of havoc uh-huh. uh, because he finds it amusing and it really does cause you to sit back a little bit on your heels and go like oh, wait a minute a sec <laughs> like this is I've this is this is not the pan I was ready for. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember when they were getting into the house under the hill, they each had their tree. And if they didn't mm-hmm. fit the tree, Peter would change them to fit the tree. <laughs> right. And then, um, right. of course, there's the incredibly problematic part where the tribe calls him the great white father. 
Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, I guess that's that's like a whole thing. Oh, like you, oh, you yes. are trying, you're trying to contend with this work on your terms. You know, uh-huh. as as an author working today, like were there places where you where you kind of had some hard choices to make about how to how to approach the source material? Yeah, there definitely were. I struggled with a long time about whether or not I was going to bring the the tribe into it. I mean, like I said, it was the Great White Father, and I didn't realize that initially. But the tribe's name is a racial slur against Black people, and so oh no, uh, oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> so so in my book, I just call it Tiger Lily's Tribe. Sure. There you go. Yeah. But <laughs> so yeah, uh, I went. I had a couple of like sensitivity readers who were familiar with Native American culture go through it and help me weed out anything that was pro- problematic. So that was that was a big mm-hmm. struggle. I yeah. bet. I, I, I'm curious. So so tell me tell me about this god that you that you used for this that you made Pan part of. Mapanos was a Celtic personification of youth. He also takes place in uh, Arthurian legend. Uh, where like I think really like King Arthur's nephew or something like that went to rescue him, and in order to rescue him, he had to talk to this ancient fish. And huh. so, actually, in my book, I go back to that, and I have one of my characters um, drink well, what I call a dragon's blood potion because in Norse mythology, one of the characters drink dragon's blood to talk to animals. So he drinks mm-hmm. this dragon blood's potion and goes to this salmon of I want to say Linlin. And mm-hmm. which is the same thing that the Arthurian characters went to to find out where he was. So, yeah, I just had a lot of fun playing with those different mythologies. The, the reason I ask is, and, and, and I get it. I, I get why you would go with a, a, a god of youth, essentially. Uh-huh. But it, it, just in the way Tracy's describing the character from the book, which I have never read the book. I, I'm going on record right now. But the way Tracy, I almost feel like you could have gotten away as well with going with like a trickster god. Uh, yeah, I could have. I wanted something lesser known, for one thing. I mean, a lot of people couldn't name a single Celtic god, so... <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that was a big part of it. And so I was just looking through various ones, and not just that it was a god of youth, but the personification of youth, and that just made a whole lot of sense to me, so I just fit really perfectly. And, you know, when you think about the games that a lot of little kids play, like, if they were real, they would be pretty horrible. They're pretend games, so, <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of that. That was along the lines I was going towards. It's an interesting point because if it, if you decided to, uh, you know, to kind of borrow from MCU current language here, that that Pan was some kind of Loki variant, basically, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> then then you have tied up in it the fact that there is a a kind of like effluvia of malice around Loki's Uh decisions. And so, yeah, kind of trying to dial it back to the idea of like, it's because he is perpetually a child that Uh the things that raise our eyebrows keep happening because he doesn't have an adult perspective, Mm -hmm. the choices that he's making and, and the things that he's doing. So I think it's, that's a pretty reasonable move as a way of kind of like, how do I deal with all the problematic angles of this character without just sort of blanket writing them out? I was like, well, if he's the perpetual child, he's going to have the perpetual judgment capacity and bad ideas of a child. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is being a God is never landed essentially the creation of his own mind. So Yes, what mm-hmm. happens there is childish. One of the things that happens in the original book is that they don't always eat. Sometimes they just pretend to eat, but somehow they don't starve. Mm-hmm. And one of the characters in my book says, well, it's different when a god is pretending. So, you know, yeah. that, like I said, uh, just 
the idea that Neverland is the creation of someone with godlike powers who was perpetually a child. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So that, I mean, all of this is really awesome, but it's also a pretty significant departure from what you did before in your Goblin Star series. And so uh, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of wondering, like, how do we, what's the journey from a sort of high fantasy meshed with space opera universe to where we are now? Like, I mean, it all becomes with, you know, you know, me listening to a conversation or me having a, or an idea and just kind of rolling with it like the goblin star series came about because i was in a conversation with a bunch of authors about hyperdrives and you know someone mm-hmm. is saying you know in most books they're just a black box they're basically magic and i was like well what if they were actually magic and that idea sort of spawned <laughs> the the goblin star series and like i said with the god of neverland i was uh i was just listening to i was listening to the audiobook of the original peter pan when that idea just came to me so it's you know just being always open to new inputs and, you know, rolling with whatever ideas pop into your head. Uh, you know, I had a, I have a mentor that says, uh, I listen to the voices in my head and expect people to pay me for the results. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a heck of a way to monetize our internal issues. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I took away from that is, is something that I've always said, you know, when you, when you go to conventions and, and, from the author point of view, you go to a convention and eventually you're sitting around talking to a bunch of other writers, right? Mm-hmm. It happens. Yeah. Uh, it's at Barcon or, or something. Some, some, there's some sort of interaction where eventually you're sitting there and you're talking and that tends to just get the creative juices flowing. It's almost like a recharge. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that's, that's what it sounds like. Like, like you're sitting there and you're just having these conversations and all of a sudden it just sparks ideas. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I just got back from um, the Superstars Writing Seminar in Colorado Springs, and I go to that every year for exactly that reason. Yeah. How was that? I, I mean, obviously, the situation this year is, is going to naturally be different than in the past, but it seems like it was well attended. Uh, yeah, it was very well attended. There was kind of a somber note to it. Was One it of David the Farland? founders, yeah, Dave, Dave Farland, he yeah. was a big mentor of mine. He actually gave me a cover quote, and he passed away last month. And uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was really hard, but yeah, I, I have taught I have taught Scrivener at Superstars, uh-huh. and and Kevin is my publisher. Okay, so I I, I know the group, I know the crowd. Uh-huh. I saw a lot of quotes. I saw that like I guess Butcher did some good stuff this year. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He mm-hmm. was talking about his origin story and how he how he got to where he is, and basically saying that uh, you know you always have to keep trying. And he was linking it to pumping water from a well. Is that you're, okay. you're pumping it really right. hard, and for a long time, you can't see anything happening, and you want to quit, but that's when you got to go harder. And like that was actually similar to my story um, about two, three years ago. Now, I don't have it, but I, at that time, mm-hmm. I found out I might have multiple sclerosis, oh, and yeah. I was just really getting close to quitting. And that was actually the year that I met the editor for God of Neverland, and you know, I was talking to some friends, and... One of one of my friends uh, named Kevin Eikenberry, he told me, um, you've been working at this so hard. If you quit right now, I'll kick your ass. And <laughs> <laughs> and that was and I mean, that was a year that this whole God of Neverland thing really took off and really became an actual thing. So, yeah, I was yeah. very much on a similar journey where, you know, I'm towards the end of it. I feel like I'm going to give up and suddenly, you know, it happens and I get this big publishing deal. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Now, I, I will say that I've known Kevin Eikenberry for quite a long time now, 
and and I don't like anybody mentioning him on the podcast because he continues. Well, he refuses to say whether or not the Stargate exists in Cheyenne Mountain. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's not cool. <laughs> can't, play, can't play cool like that. No. Yeah. I've, it's funny because I've, I've done uh, interviews with him and I've done podcast stuff. And uh, I always ask about the Stargate in Cheyenne Mountain. And uh-huh. he's like, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see him doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to have friends who care about your work enough that they're willing to choose violence <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. if, you, if you go the wrong way. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So, all right. Then I want to, I want to sort of turn this around a little bit here. So you've got a, You've got the benefit of some writers who you're in community with and have worked with closely and have mentored you. And you've probably returned the favor to, to some of them when they've needed it as well. Do you have a peer with some work that has come out recently where, where you had to be like, I'm, I'm going to kick your ass if you don't if you don't make this thing come out into the world? Like, who is who were you the Kevin Eikenberry for? Um, have you had that opportunity yet? You know, it hasn't happened so far. But uh, on writing excuses, Brendan Sanderson has talked about how people talk about it being a coincidence that um, him and his friends all got successful at the same time. And he was like, no, it's not that at all. It's we've been working at it at the same time. So... <laughs> Yeah. One of my friends who is um, about to come out with um, a big book is um, Ronnie Verdi or R.R. Verdi with, uh, I'm going to say it's First yeah. Binding. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we've been together. We've been good friends for a long time and this is all happening to us at the same at the same time. So it's that that's a good feeling, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. With, with many behind the scenes ass kickings, mm-hmm. no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said every every overnight success has ten years of work. Oh yeah, it. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So okay, I, you know you got you got that ten years of work behind overnight success and everything. When you're not when you're not cranking out a God of Neverland and then what's going to succeed it, or you know working on the the four different novels in the Goblin Star series and all of that. What what have you been doing for yourself? Like what what takes up Gamma's time? I'm also a runner. Um, I just finished the Dopey Challenge, which is a series of races in Disney World. On consecutive <laughs> days, you do a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, and a marathon. So it's like. Oh, that's just. Whoa. That's why it's called the Dopey Challenge. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. Yeah. By the time the marathon comes, everybody's just like uh-huh. running like Dopey. <laughs> yeah, yep. And um, you're not actually to halfway through your miles Whoa. until you're two miles into the marathon. So it was just. <laughs> that was, that was oh. intense. <laughs> And I'm also a scuba diver. I volunteer at the aquarium in Salt Lake City where I like clean the shark tank. So that's fun. And uh-huh. Oh, my God. Tell me everything about cleaning a shark tank. Like, I mean, I don't even care if it's the gross stuff. Like, now I just need like, like, are they in there? Yeah, yeah, doing so, it? Or do they like, take them somewhere else? Yeah, they, they are in there. Before COVID, I would actually do presentations. I, I would have a mask. I had a mic in it. I would do presentations in the tank. Um, I mean... You know, for the most part, it's, you know, cleaning, making sure that there is no algae growing. And, um, and you know, people are always like, are they going to eat you? And I was like, no, no, they're not going to eat us for a couple of reasons. Um, first, you know, our Already sharks. fed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're really well fed in the wild. A shark will eat like once a week. Um, mm-hmm. Our sharks eat um, significantly more than that. And like other animals, they're lazy. They're not going to go after something if they're not hungry. But mm-hmm. we do go. We do like stay aware of their attitudes. Um, we have two divers in the water, and anyone can end a dive at any time. 
And yeah. in the about two years I've been doing that, there have only been a handful of times. We haven't had to end the dive early, but by looking at the sharks beforehand, we're like, okay, they're in an ornery mood, so we're not going to do it today. So you yeah. know, just being aware yeah. of them and enjoy your algae. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But one time I I, I um, accidentally hugged a shark, so that was fun. Is that I was cleaning this like um, this uh, glass wall, and it's a zebra shark, yeah. so it's not a dangerous one, and it sort of swims between my chest and my arm. And it freaked me out because, you know, I'm not expecting something to come up right there. But, yeah, I was basically hugging it. <laughs> it just wanted so, to cuddle. So, Tracy, I have I have just a little bit of experience because some friends of mine in Chattanooga were divers. Okay. And there's a there's a really cool aquarium there in Chattanooga. And they, they got me basically a, a special pass and I was able to go behind the scenes when they were doing what he's talking about. And, and it was kind of cool because it was like you're up on the scaffolding uh-huh. and all the tanks are there and they've got, you know, ways to get into the tanks. And, and then they go down and they do the cleaning, which people inside the aquarium can see to his point. Like, and they would have microphones. They would do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it was so cool. I mean, it's cool to watch them from the aquarium side and see divers down there and, you're, and they're telling you, oh, you know, I'm doing this and this, here's this fish and here's this blah, 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 blah. But it's, it's also really cool to see it from the backside too. Cause you're like, wow, this is so low tech. This is not at all. What <laughs> there's, I, you, there's no robot is, you're sending in there to do this thing, man. Is, is that just like, is that like plywood from Home Depot? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of my husband's friends it moved a couple of years ago down to St. Louis because his wife had gotten a job at the St. Louis Zoo, which is one of the really, you know, particularly nice free zoos in the Midwest. It's got this really lovely open design and really cool exhibits and everything. And the one thing that they don't tell you about becoming a zookeeper when you when you go to school for that sort of thing I say not from experience, but just from talking to mm-hmm. <laughs> talking to her, is um that you kind of don't really get to specialize. Like you can try to specialize in your your coursework, but when you get hired, you're just going to like go wherever they put you. Uh And so she had worked by that point in her life in about five different uh, habitats of different kinds, different uh, once in an aquarium and like four different zoos, including ones around Chicago. And so when she got down to St. Louis, they put her on pachyderms and and rhinoceri and things. And so just like the really big fuck off animals, Uh right? And, And the whole deal we made when we went down there for like a mini vacation last summer, just for a couple of days, was we were going to text her as we were getting near the elephant enclosure so that she could come out and sort of show us stuff. Uh-huh. And when we found her, she had a literal whole like snow shovel. And it's just her and this scene from Jurassic Park looking <laughs> pile of turds <laughs> shoveling stuff onto the back of a truck. And she like see her name's Brittany and she sees us and she waves. We're like, hi, Brittany. And she waves back. And, and my kids lean over and they're like, what is she doing? <laughs> and I'm like, you, I'm like, smell the air, kid. You know what she's doing, right? Yeah. And so she comes out and she's got a, a tin bucket, which is just full of overripe bananas cut in half. Uh-huh. And the whole deal is like she can't actually take us behind the scenes because it just doesn't work that yeah. way where she is. But she can she can 
have us meet her outside the enclosure. And as long as she acts like this is something anyone can participate in, it, it, it she can get away with it being actually really just for us. Uh-huh. And so she basically is just like hucking bananas at the <laughs> at the different elephants and giving them commands because did not know this until had the opportunity to be there. Although it's so obvious, I don't know why it never dawned on me. You have to teach elephants tricks, not because you're trying to amuse yourself, but Uh because if you don't, you can't do a damn thing for them medically when you need to. Uh Because if it doesn't want to show you the bottom of its hoof, it will not show you the bottom of its hook, and yeah. there's nothing you can do. Like if you need to reach inside of its ear, and it doesn't want that to happen, and it doesn't know what you're asking it to do, guess what, man? Uh-huh. And so basically, everything you do with this pachyderm, you have to train it. They they refer to them as behaviors. You uh-huh. know, you have to train it to exhibit behaviors. Uh-huh. And so it looks like zoo tricks or like 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 circus tricks, but it's all actually for medical purposes. We need to stand this way. We need to kneel down. We need to do this and all this stuff. And so my kids are like boomeranging bananas <laughs> and things out to out to this um elephant who eventually figured out that like she could hold out for more bananas <laughs> and she was like nah i'm not gonna do it man and she's like you know whatever whatever the i forget the elephant's name but so and so neil and just picks up this doesn't work as well on radio sorry <laughs> folks picks up real slow with the trunk like dead ass staring at us <laughs> Right in the mouth, huge mouth, just working on that banana. And it's got this total make me look from the other side of the moat. And we're like, oh, okay, do you want another banana? And what I have learned on this is that apparently elephants could, could play poker if they want to. They could just, man, they could just drive up that pot. Actually, there there is there is a ban on elephants playing cards in Vegas because they remember everything so they can count. Oh, oh yeah. for God's yeah. sake. Patrick Louise. Wow. Uh, it's not so bad for you, Gamma. You don't have to do this all the time. Uh, well, I think we want to make sure that we have a chance to to get our picks of the weekend, right? So, yes. are, we, are we feeling it? Picks time? Yes. Let's, right. let's do picks. Picks of the week. All right, Patrick. What are you what are you up for? So I am picking something that I've probably picked before and I've talked about before. And 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 as the listeners know, it takes me forever to play a video game. Literally years. I I mean, I will start a game and then play it for a little while and then stop. And then months will go by, if not years, before I start again. And then I have to relearn how to play it. But I'm trying to finish a game so that I can start its sequel. So I am I am back playing Horizon Zero Dawn. Okay, yeah. And I'm, I, I when I got my PS5, yay! I I had a PS4 Pro, and whenever I would play Horizon Zero Dawn, the fan would start. Like it oh. was struggling to play. Oh, just struggling. Yeah, and so I don't know how people without the Pro did it. To be honest with you, because it would just it would just spin up, and it could get really really loud, and and so when I got the five, I moved Horizon Zero Dawn and all the content and everything over to the five, which is something you can do, which I didn't know, and and started playing it there, and and it's so smooth, so awesome, and I had done almost everything, and then I started on the uh, I haven't finished the final the final quest thing. But I had the I had the frozen west or the frozen whatever it's called. 
Oh, yeah. Downloadable content extra. I am working my way through that right now. I'm on the last thing there, and then I go back and try to finish. But it's it's a gorgeous game. Mm-hmm. It it continues to be a gorgeous game. The new one, uh, which is uh, The Forbidden West, is getting rave reviews from people. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited. I already have it because I pre-ordered it. I just haven't installed it yet. And uh, I, I love the character of Aloy. I love the the little... Easter eggs throughout the whole game where suddenly you're walking around and you realize you're in Moab. Yeah. Because you see the arches or you realize that you're in Colorado because you're, you're at, you know, mile high stadium or you're at red rocks or something like that. I think that is one of the coolest parts of the game where it's a slow burn discovery of like, wait, yeah, wait, yeah, this <laughs> like, is our world. Yeah. And, and, it, it's it's just such a fun game, and and I love the story. I love the. I, I am not a completist, so I don't have to get every little thing that uh-huh. that pe- like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I'm just enjoying it again, and mm-hmm. and really really loving it on the PS5. It plays so smooth, so I'm very excited for the second one. Cool, very cool. So Kama, hopefully I can finish you? that sometime. Sorry, so I'm uh, hoping I can finish that sometime in the next six months to three years, and then <laughs> yeah, get on to yeah. the second game. The, the Horizon Zero Dawn will be like you know yeah. me with television. It's exactly. Just that. Yeah. So yeah. Gamma, sorry. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Um, so a little while ago, I finished the first season of Upload on Amazon, which is a really just fascinating series. It, it opens up with this family saying, oh yeah, my grandmother's in heaven, and they respond, oh, which one? Oh, New Haven. And after they die, they get uploaded to um, to like this computer program, and then their family members go and visit them. And then the main character dies mysteriously in the first season, trying to figure out kind of why did he die? And he's investigating and messaging back and forth with his living friends, and it's just a really fascinating series. That's that's Arrow's brother, right? Amnel, uh, Stephen Amnel's brother. I, I forget what his name sure. is. Sure, I'm terrible with actors. I believe actors, it is. So. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's his brother doing that one. If and I cannot remember his name. He was actually in uh, Arrow and Flash. He played. Mm-hmm. He was the original character that was the joined character with the professor. They, oh, they, oh yeah, God. yeah, yeah, uh-huh. with the flaming head. Yeah, yeah. I cannot um, remember the character's name. This is one of those conversations that's Firestorm. like actually way more fun when you haven't Storm. watched the show. <laughs> like, the guy with the flaming head. <laughs> he, he, he was the original yeah. Firestorm on on yeah, uh, yeah. So Robbie M. Arrow, Robbie Flash. Amnell. Yeah, Robbie M. Nell. There you go. Cool. So it's basically it's like heaven, but World of Warcraft different server types. Like uh, yeah, yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. yeah. Kinda, okay. And because he's on his girlfriend's account, he can't actually make any changes. She has to, so it's kind of. It's like a funny thing there, so it. <laughs> and I believe there's a season two. Yeah, it's it's been it's done filming, I believe. I just know what I when it's yeah. going to air. So. Yeah, coming yeah. soon. Coming yeah. soon, season two. Coming soon, indeed. All right, I feel like kind of a downer here in comparison for what my pick is, but I swear I, I that I I do stand by it, and I. I believe it's a good pick and I believe in me. Um, so uh, one of the things that I'm reading right now on audiobook, because listeners know I do almost all of my reading on audiobook, um, is a piece of uh, – it's it's nonfiction and it's research-based. And um, 
it's provoked by present circumstances in in our, our world history and contemporary events. Um, thinking a lot about what's been happening in Russia and Ukraine, um, I decided I really needed to do more than um, just sort of surf the internet and feel powerless, that I kind of wanted to understand uh, the context of, of situations a little bit better. So I've been um, listening to slash reading Active Measures by Thomas Reed. Uh, Reed is spelled R-I-D in this case. It is uh, The Secret History of Disinformation. Um, and Reed is a scholar from Johns Hopkins University whose specialization is in um, information tactics and information systems. And uh, he's actually one of the people who testified in 2017 about uh, in front of the Senate subcommittees and Senate hearings having to do with uh, Russian interference in the 2016 election. And so this is kind of a long range history of how disinformation apparatuses came into being in the early part of the 20th century and how they operate today through social media and um, what individual people can potentially do to be sort of more aware of the um, integrity of the information that they're getting or its sources and so on. So if that's something that's been on your mind, even amidst our uh, fun rambles in the worlds of geekdom and stuff like that, I would suggest checking out uh, Active Measures uh, by Thomas Reed. Very cool. You know, I, I a guy at Costco told me that all that stuff's fake anyway, so. That's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, also if you, if you, if you buy the uh, if you buy the membership to Costco that gets you the, uh, the, the business size thing, isn't that the one where you can get a full steer or something? I think that, yeah, something like that. And, and you, you can get the hot dogs, you know, for like 50 cents a piece. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. Something crazy like that. Oh, Costco. (laughs) Uh. Oh, that was a journey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gamma. So where can folks? Hold on, hold on, hold on. So, so uh, a friend, uh, actually from Colorado Springs, was posting on Facebook and asked the question: Where could you hold a party, a launch party, for mm-hmm. a zombie apocalypse book? Okay. okay. And I had two thoughts. Okay. One, it was the one I posted, which was Home Depot Lawn and Garden. <laughs> okay. Because, <laughs> okay. I mean, if there was a zombie apocalypse, you would you would head to like a couple different places. One of them no, being I, I got it. Yeah. the Lawn and Garden section of Home Depot. Yeah, I'm the sensing this coming full about, circle. Yeah, yeah, the other one that I thought about was Costco. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I've, I've, I've thought that if there was some sort of apocalypse, you would want to go to Costco. You would want to fortify the thing because then you'd have plenty of food and water and dog food and cat food and cat litter and sure. patio furniture. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it would be a great place to hunker down during the zombie apocalypse. Make a suit of armor out of 78 rolls of toilet paper. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Here's yeah. the thing. Here's the, here's the thing that, that people don't think about with, with armor. Uh, if you're going to make yourself a suit of armor, don't forget to armor your feet. Because mm. a lot of people just you know, cover the face, the body. No, I'm, arm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to back you up on that because as someone who has two largish size dogs who just regularly get excited about stuff and run through the house and will step on my, the tops of my bare ass feet as they go by. <laughs> um, at that point, like if there was, uh, I mean, I'm going to try and pull on my pick here, but if there was like a, like a Russian interrogator or something who ran by in that instant after the pressure point on the top of my foot had been stepped on by an 80 pound dog. I would tell them anything just to make it stop. But they would be like, I can turn off those pain receptors. If you just tell me, where can I find lecker books? Where can I find books with information? I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. and then we'd hide in Costco. 
um, <laughs> where we would watch uploaded on their televisions. And see, there we go. We, re- oh, yeah, we, we pulled it out of the fire, man. We did it. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> so whether people are hiding from the zombie apocalypse or mercifully, we hope not having to do that. Where can they find you and your books and all your good stuff, Gamma? Uh, so, um, my website is, uh, gammaraymartinez.com and that's one M cause a lot of people will accidentally put two. Um, and the books, they'll be wherever you can, I mean, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. Um, we got time in advance to narrate the audible. So I'm really excited about that. Oh, so, nice. Uh-huh, yeah. That is really good. Uh-huh. Fantastic. All right. Well, it's been really awesome having you on. And now I got to check out Simon Vance on your audiobook here. <laughs> All, right. So. <laughs> All right. It's good to be here. Oh, sure. Thanks for coming on. Mm-hmm. Welcome to March. Spring will be sprunging. Wait, springing? Eh, I don't know. But anyway, it's happening soon. And that means it's time for a new bumper. First on the agenda, Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle over at Beyond the Trope should be scratching their ears and wondering who's been talking about them. It's me! I've been talking about them here and in other places like Capricorn 42. Why? Because they have a pretty nifty little podcast. They talk to authors and artists just like we do and release episodes on Tuesdays, just like we do. So if you subscribe to both our podcasts, it's like getting a double feature every week. In other news... I mentioned before Capricorn 42. That's because Tracy and I had a lot of fun there, especially spending time with several of our patrons. Becoming a patron doesn't just mean you get to hang out with us at conventions, although you might. It means also getting access to things like monthly hangouts, a patrons-only episode of the podcast every month, and even a private Facebook group where we talk about extra nerdy things. It's as close to the green room for the show as you can get without... You know, actually being in the green room. Check out patreon.com slash functional nerds for more information about becoming a backer. What's next? Well, April, I guess, comes after March. I'll probably have to record another bumper. But that's easily days away or more. Who knows? (laughs) Time. Time is so stupid. Then there's ShyCon. The Worldcon in September, where we'll probably be there in person. It's likely, I mean, very likely, but depends on a lot of things, you know? So, I don't know. Anyway, where did I put the link to the Hugo nomination ballot? I know I had it here somewhere. Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs>